if you grew up in a home where there were Christian parents, chances are you probably were familiar with the fact that the rhythm of your week took a very different turn on Sunday. For me, um, it started uh, fairly early Sunday morning. I can always look forward to a a good breakfast, big breakfast. Um, That was just something that was needed in our home on Sunday. And uh, rush, getting dressed, might have seen some kind of Christian preaching or something on the morning, Jimmy Swagger or something like that. Um, And then going to church fairly early, um, Sunday school, worship service, coming home, eat lunch, take a nap. Um, After taking a nap, might have had some time um, before I got back to church at four uh, for uh, choir practice, um, then discipleship training or whatever the titles were for you, youth, uh, after that, and then a worship service uh, about 6.30, 7. And then after that was hanging out time with your buddies. Hopefully, we would go to McDonald's, and I would lobby for wherever, and, and that's, that was my, my rhythm, and within that, supper wasn't included because we didn't have time for supper uh, until 8.30 that night, um, as well as there's some things we didn't do, like we didn't, uh, we, we didn't get gas on Sunday because you could do that other days, um, and thankfully, we didn't empty the dishwasher. Um, I always rejoice in that, that uh, that was a daily expectation, but for whatever reason, I didn't empty the trash, I, I didn't mow the grass, um, I didn't wash the car, I didn't have to clean my room up. Um, it, there's some marvelous things about it, but honestly, a lot of it was because we just didn't have time to do all the other things, but that was certainly a, a principle that uh, even if we did have time, that uh, I felt like that was going to be still true. There's some things we didn't do. And when we went on vacation, every once in a while, we would be going on Sundays on vacation. And um, so wherever we happened to be, come Saturday evening, uh, Dad was looking in the phone book uh, to see where the churches were on Sunday morning. And because we did a couple of cross-country trips by car, uh, some places we were out on Sunday, there was just like nothing. And so dad would make plans that uh, on Sunday morning, when that was the case, we'd have a little family worship time. Um, But if there was a church there, we'd go on Sunday morning. Um, He explained to me later on that he didn't want me to get the impression that we were frauds and that uh, we went to church just because dad was paid to go to church. Uh, That wasn't the impression that he wanted to portray and that it was worship was worship. And so I, that was how I grew up. Many of you may have grown up the same way. For others, that's just, man, that's different for you, okay? Uh, and I understand that. I appreciate that. Uh, but a lot of it comes from the, the text that we're talking about today in Exodus chapter 20. As we're studying the Ten Commandments, we're looking at the fourth command about the Sabbath day. How do we keep the Sabbath day? Many of you remember the blue laws, uh, maybe from the towns where you're at, uh, the blue laws were those laws that enforced uh, work uh, to cease on Sunday, and there's some services you can't do. And for many of us who are fans of Chick-fil-A, we, we feel that. Um, you know, how many of you on, on Sunday morning think, oh, let's go to Chick-fil-A? Oh, yeah, that's right. Or you go through the drive-thru and, and realize, okay, they're not, they don't work on, on Sunday. Um, and then we kind of mumble to ourselves uh, about that. Um, so... What is the understanding of, of the Ten Commandments, and especially the Fourth Commandment? Because I think we could be dangerous in saying, well, you know, all the other ones apply except for the Fourth Commandment. And you, to be consistent, if you do that, then what are you going to do with thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not lie? If you're going to throw out the Fourth Commandment, you can't throw out the Fourth one without the rest of them. And so you've got, we've got to have an understanding about this, and Jesus addressing all the law, he said he's come to fulfill the law, but he said there's two main principles uh, that are involved in this, is that you love God with all your heart and that you love your neighbor as yourself. These two in, in capture all of the commands, and so you can, in every one of these commands, directly tie it to that principle of loving God 
and loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and so in the first one, we, we talked about that, how he said there should be no other gods before me. And we talked about how that applies to us today. And we think that's a simple command. It is simple. But the reality is, is that many of us have brought our gods into the church. And we've just decorated it and called it some religious language. But it's still the same. We're committing idolatry. And so consequently, the second one flows right from that. You shall have no other graven image. And we talked about how that's not just the creating of statues and creating of pictures that limit who God is, but it's the imagination that creates that. That in our mind we see God not as he's revealed himself, but as we want him to be. We talked about how that's a problem. So consequently, we feel betrayed because God is not our assistant. <laughs> we, don't, we can't define him as merely our assistants to make sure we have a good family, our assistant to make sure we have a good job, our assistant to make sure our life is comfortable, our assistant to make sure the marriage is just right. He is not our assistant. He is our God. And we need to learn who he is, not try to uh, conform God into our image. And then we looked at the, the third command, how that also flows from this, the language we employ, uh, that we don't take the name of our God in vain, that we don't uh, cheapen who God is because the value of God as our creator, as our redeemer, because of who he is, we don't speak the same way as the world around us. This is common. And sometimes we think that in the common aspects of this that it's okay to be like the world. We are in this world. God's called us to be in this world, but he's not called us to be of this world. That definitely impacts our speech. And with that thought in mind, I want to, I want to ask your forgiveness uh, in, in regards to that. Um, it was brought to my attention that the speech I employed in describing and illustrating uh, what the world does uh, was offensive and that it uh, hurt, perhaps, your heart and your conscience to hear a word and phrasing that is common in this world to hear it here at this time, at this place. Um, my intention was not to uh, slander God. Um, my intention was to explain, but nonetheless, because I love God and also because I love you, um, I want to ask you forgiveness. Uh, in using a word that perhaps may offended you, uh, and I, I leave that in, in your hands uh, to do that, um, because I love you, and I want you to know that, Jenny Pines, I, I love you, and uh, you're such a blessing to me, and I don't want to be a stumbling block to you. Of, of all people, I don't want to be a stumbling block to you in that. And the idea is that we carry the honor of God with us. We carry, this is the honor of God that he has enwrapped in his people. And so as we live our life, worship, and really today's commandments are about worshiping God. Worship is about carrying the value of God in our life. So that it impacts everything we do from our speech to as we're going to talk about today in our work. Remember, I shared with you a story from, from Toy Story. Little toys that have the names of their owner, the little boy, uh, Andy, written on their foot. How it changes. How they operate as toys. And there's one particular scene where the toys, and you have to forgive me, but I live Toy Story all throughout my week, okay? <laughs> you're going to get me, father of, of a three-year-old who loves this. Um, but there's a one scene where the toys, you know, Andy's growing up, he's going to college, what do you do with the toys? You don't throw them out. You put them in the attic. All the toys are panicking about this. And the leader of the toys says, I'm Andy's toy. And if Andy wants me in the attic, that's where I belong. And all the toys are revolting at this idea. We're, we're to be played with. Why, why should I be put in the attic? And the simply idea is that we belong to Andy. If that's what Andy wants, that's what we get. I think about that. I can't help but think about that as, as I read this passage uh, in keeping the Sabbath day, there's a sense of, God, you, you want me to stop? I, I'm made to work. I'm made to do. You want me to stop? That doesn't make any sense. 
I think when you read the Ten Commandments, sometimes things don't make sense for the very point that the only reason you're doing it is because of the relationship with God. That's the only reason you're doing it. Because of your relationship with God. And so, I want us to look at this passage, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look verses 8 through 11. It's, it's, probably, it's the longest portion of Scripture assigned to all the commandments, of the Ten Commandments. Um, very lengthy, and, and we'll look at the one in Deuteronomy as well that speaks to this. But it's one you don't see in other moral codes of ancient life. You know, we've talked about Hammurabi's code and other things that are very similar. You don't see a Sabbath day commandment in these other codes. It's unique to our God. And this is going to speak especially to your work life. Your work life. I've shared with you all these other commands flow from having God as God, not as your servant. And so when you don't do that, it's going to impact all areas of life. We're going to look at the one involved in work today. And so Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, this being God's word, if you'll stand as we read this together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son, are your daughter, your male servant, are your female servant, are your livestock, are the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You may be seated. How much identity do we gain from our work? Is it not true that when you first meet somebody, what are some of the first questions we ask you, your name, maybe where you're from, how long you've lived in the area, what do you do? Isn't that probably one of the top four or five questions you ask someone? Why? Because you get some idea of that person based on what they do. And not only do others get that, we ourselves, don't we? Get some idea about our worth, our value, based on what we do. If we do something that society values, then we think higher of ourselves. Or if the people at work value our skills and what we bring to work, then isn't it amazing how life just seems so much more cheerful just because other people value your work. And, and when you go the other way, when you're in a work environment where it seems you could be cared less, all right, no one really cares about you um, and maybe degrades you, everything else in life has a negative lens to it, doesn't it? I mean, just life is miserable when work is miserable. After all, you spend a good portion of your life in work. And one of the things that we talked about when having other gods before us, one of the things we watched out for, you have to look out for, is what do you get your identity from? Where do you get your hope from? How do you look at yourself? Is it, is it something from work? If it is, we're in dangerous grounds. We're in dangerous grounds of committing idolatry. And then if we start looking at life and we get disenchanted with God, disillusioned with God because... We're following God, and now I've lost my job because I followed God? And we get angry at him? It reveals how we see work and how we see God. That God's come in to help us be good workers. And listen, I believe some of the best workers around are those who carry the name of God in their life. But that's not the purpose of carrying the name of God, to be a good worker. The purpose is to glorify God. And so we've got to understand this. And so let's look at this passage and, and understand uh, if we mess up our work life, often we mess up ourselves. But if we can understand that work life is a vessel by which we can carry the name of God, let's do that. That's worship. That's what a believer does. And let's learn how we do that. So let's see what exactly is commanded when we read this passage together. What is God asking us to do? Well, first of all, as we read... Verse 8, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, you need to understand, every day is holy unto the Lord, right? 
Every day is of God. In fact, if the very heart beat, the very breath you breathe is a gift to you from God, and it should be a gift for God. So what is separate? What is different when he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and all days to be holy? So it's not talking about just a moral standing of this day, all right, because all days belong to him. But in fact, in Deuteronomy 5.12, when we look at the counterpart of this, it, instead of the word remember, it has the word observe, a nuance of, of guarding the day. Now, uh, when we looked at holy, it means to be set apart, okay? Now, I've, I've used this illustration before to help you understand. I hope everyone has a holy toothbrush. You know what I mean? A holy toothbrush? You want your toothbrush set apart for a specific use. I go in the kid's bathroom, and I don't know whose toothbrush is who, and I'm thinking, oh, this is just bad. Everybody needs their own toothbrush. It needs to be holy. It needs to be set apart. And so there's this idea of holy that it's not just referring to a moral aspect, but it's also referring to the fact that it's designated for a very specific purpose. And when God says that something is holy unto me, he's saying it's set apart for my purposes, for my use. And so there's this concept of remembering the Sabbath day for the purposes of God, of who he is. Now, in verse 9, it gives us another command. Verse 9. God commands six days, you shall labor and do all your work. In this is a command to work six days out of the week. Six days, a lot of times we emphasize the rest day, but we look and, and we overlook the fact that, all right, with six days, how are you working? Okay? Um, we've got this concept of, of a five-day weekend, uh, and mainly a lot of it came from the 700s, where they weren't sure whether to observe the Sabbath day or Sunday. Okay, let's both of them. And so we got Saturday and Sunday. Um, it's kind of a, a Western American thing, Western uh, primarily. Um, I think, man, I thank God for that. But there's to be work that's to be done. There's to be there's work that's to be done. Whether it's working at your house, doing whatever, there's work to be done. So six days you work, one day you rest. The command to work. The third thing that this commands us to do, uh, verse 3, or verse 10. He says, the reason we're doing this. The seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. Notice the Sabbath to the Lord your God. The reason we're not working is in order to devote ourselves to something. Okay? It's not just ceasing activity. It's not just laying in bed. All right. It's not just uh, doing things different from the rest of the week. You're doing things different from the rest of the week for the purpose of devoting yourself to the Lord. Okay. And so Sabbath day for the Jews wasn't necessarily soccer day or whatever the Hebrew equivalent of football or whatever it may be. It wasn't necessarily okay. This is football day. Uh, this is this is play day. Sabbath was, this is the Lord's day. We're ceasing this activity for this purpose, devoting ourselves to him. Now, the, verse 10 also tells us something else. The fourth thing commanded here is that this applies not just to the Jews, but to the strangers. Even the dogs, the cats, the cattle, the livestock was given this rest day. They're under God's command not to work them seven days a week. And so there's this interesting application that it wasn't just for God's people, but it was for all the area that they had rule over, including a stranger, a foreigner walking through that area. Say, hey, buddy, it's time to rest. Cattle, we're not, we're going to rest you this day. You're not going to be pulling the plow. And so this concept of rest that applied to the civilization that God was creating through this commandment. Now, it's interesting. It speaks to the idea of physical rest that needed not just a spiritual uh, aspect, but a physical aspect that's needed even for the animals. Now, we've seen what is commanded. Why is it commanded? Why is God giving this? What well, verse 11, he speaks as to why this is done. He's kind of given the rationale behind this. You see, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so in this commandment, he appeals to creation. 
Look at how God created this world. Seven days a week. Have you ever wondered why on earth we have seven days in a week? There have been societies that tried to change it, and they couldn't change it. Why do we have seven days in a week? It's not because of the evolution theory. It goes right back to what we see here in Genesis. Now, the Bible says in the six days he finished the work, and the seventh day he rested. Now, do you get the sense that God was just worn out? You know, I said that word, let there be light, and that just wore me out. Sometimes we, we look at that, and we don't think. We just apply how we look at life. God isn't just tired. Man, I need a nap. Let me go to sleep. Now, the Bible makes very clear that God doesn't sleep our slumber. What is he talking about when he says he rested? It was not an exhaustion, a worn out. It simply was that it's completed. It's completed. I rested from my work because there's nothing else to do. It's done. The creation was beautiful, and he rested. And so this idea of rest is not just an exhaustion, but an understanding that things are completed. No more needs to be done. All right? For us parents, there is no such thing, okay? You never stop being a mom. You never stop being a dad, all right? Uh, so there, there's no such thing until you die or they die, uh, okay? And, and so, but what we've got here is it's done. It's done. Now, I, I think that when Adam and Eve sinned, God got back to work again toward a certain direction. But there's this concept of creation where creation itself, is you're saying, God, you did it. Sabbath day is completed. It's finished. There's nothing more that needs to be done. And so there's this, this, this basis of, of creation. Now I want to go to Deuteronomy for just a second. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12 through 15, you find a, a counterpart to this. Moses is again writing this book. And Deuteronomy is very much like a commentary, an explanation of some of the law. And so as he's going through the Ten Commandments, Moses gives explanation, gives commentary to what, to what we're reading here. Deuteronomy chapter 5 Verse 12 through 15. So we've got this idea, the practical reason of rest. And I think we're also learning about there's a spiritual reason for this Sabbath day of refocusing on God. Uh, One, out of creation, but we're going to learn another reason here in Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall, now listen, this is where it gets different. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. All right? He's bringing out something different. He's not talking about creation in Deuteronomy. He says, you remember how God delivered you out of Egypt? How he redeemed you, brought you back through the Passover lamb, and took you from Egypt into the promised land, crossing the Red Sea and crossing the Jordan River? You remember how God redeemed you out of slavery? Therefore, keep the Sabbath day. So there's two primary reasons. First, creation. God created this world and he did a wonderful job. I will remember God for who he is and what he's done. And then second, God has bought us out of slavery. I will remember God because he is my redeeming God. Now, if that applied to the folks in Deuteronomy, how much more does it apply to us who is the church who has been bought from sin, delivered from sin and Satan, and God is through Jesus Christ restoring many sons to glory. We've been redeemed. How much more those of us who've seen, uh, looked back on the resurrection and seen the finished work. How much more? Two primary reasons for keeping the Sabbath day remembering. God created me. God redeemed me. He made me. I'm, I'm his by right of creation, and I am his by right of purchase. God's name's not on my foot. It's in my heart. It's in my head. It's in who I am. He shares his glory with me. And so we've, we've looked at the reason of this. Now, how serious was this? Well, we read in, Deut- in Numbers 15, verse 32 to 30, 36, that failure to keep the Sabbath day was a capital crime. 
fellow was picking wood when he shouldn't have been picking wood. And he was killed. They prayed, God, God, what should we do about this? They were killed. I wouldn't be alive today if I lived back then. You see the seriousness of this. Why was God so serious in this? Not only was it, is it worship, it was to say that I worship God over work. All right? Now, we're, we often let work replace God in our lives by letting it define us and sustain us. Some, Chuck Swindoll has made the statement that in our day and time, we worship our work. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. That's pretty good diagnosis. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. God was not into that. He says, I'm going to give you a gift, and that is what it means to belong to me. I'm going to give you a gift of worshiping the greatest thing that you could ever worship. I'm going to give you the gift that, that you can be identified by the power of God, which will outlast the tomb, which nothing else will, and they're powerless and weak if you don't worship God. I'm giving you a gift. Worship me over work. So how does this work? Well, when God was asking them to take the Sabbath day, he was asking them to cut their productivity by one-seventh. Cut your productivity in life by one-seventh and use that time to remember me. Now, you and I, that's kind of a tough deal. I mean, if someone told you in your work, we need, you know, this is just going too much, we need to drop, drop it by one-seventh. You're like, what? That's crazy. And you may be thinking, we're going to lose out in business. Other folks will be working when we're not working. They're going to produce some things that we're not producing. That's not going to work. We're going to lose our business. All right, that's serious. Well, listen, in that day and time, what he was asking them to cut was the very things they needed to survive on. All right? They're talking about food, fires, other things like that, that their survival was dependent upon. He says, I want you to cut your productivity by one-seventh. Now, you can imagine what their thoughts were. But God was teaching them something. He said, I want you to learn something. I want you to learn that man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the Father's mouth. I want you to learn that. In fact, Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 through 6, is the passage that Jesus had memorized when he was confronted about, by Satan on turning a stone into bread. What was so important that Jesus had memorized? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 6 the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see, the Ten Commandments are there to test your heart, to reveal that which your heart belongs, whose name is written in your heart. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your food did not swell, or your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you, so you shall keep the commandment of your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. You see, what he's asking them to do is going to require faith in God. Don't work on the Sabbath day, and you're thinking, but God, if I do that, I won't be able to get my crops in, I won't be able to get my money, I won't be able to get my food. We will suffer. I, I have to have seven days, not six days of work. How can that happen? God says, I guess you're going to have to trust me, aren't you? He said, but if I just work six days, then there's going to be a gap. God says, I want you to trust me with that gap. I want you to trust me with that gap. It's a way for us to see which one will we sacrifice. Will we sacrifice God and trusting him or will we sacrifice work? Which one will be God? So how does this work? You have to trust God that God will multiply the effort of your other six days when you worship him. Okay? 
this is how it worked for me. Because God doesn't need your time, does he? Does he need your time? I mean, he's eternal. He's not short on time. It's kind of like money. When we talk about giving, God doesn't need your money. Giving, and remember the Sabbath day, is not about making sure God's work happens. Giving and worshiping God is about making sure your heart worships God, and not money and not time. Uh, this, this hit home with me when I was uh, studying in, in school. I was out on my own, and I was serving the Lord, working at a church, and uh, working in the college ministry that, that we had there. And uh, I, you know, I wanted to be serious about school. I was under an academic scholarship. I had to keep a, maintain a certain grade, and so I had a lot riding on, on my my, uh, my grades. And, and so there was one particular day I was uh, an English minor. I had an English class that I was uh, preparing for. We were reading British Lit, and I, I actually enjoyed that. Uh, and uh, involved, you know, reading several uh, several works, and I, I read all those and, and did my work. And we were having a major exam coming up. Uh, and it wasn't just like multiple choice, fill in the blank. You know, it was like it was about four essays on on you know any number of the the selections that we had to read. And uh, I was busy. I mean, I was working with the church. I was serving the Lord, and 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 that night I had an engagement and visitation, working with some college students, teaching them how to witness to to other college students. And I was, you know, at the end of the day, it was nighttime, and it was late at night. And I thought, I have no time to study for this exam. Normally, I like to have a few hours where I review everything. And I just thought, God, I looked back at my life at all the recent days, and I thought, God, has there been an area where I've slouched out? Have I been lazy in? And I realized that there wasn't. And so I just prayed, God, I'm not nearly as prepared as I'd like to be for this exam, but I've been serving you, and I've been worshiping you, I've done my schoolwork up to this point, I've been reading the assignments, and I'll, I'm not going to be able to study like I normally think I ought to study. It's in your hands, God. I can't do anything else. Woke up, went to my exam, and they gave me all these questions, like three or four questions out of stuff that I read. God blessed that effort. God bless that work. Things came to my mind that I've been reading over the weeks ahead. And, and I did well on that exam. And I look back, and it's the first time I, I, I had a, an experiment like that, all right? It wasn't something I intentionally did. But here's what I learned. When you worship God and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that God has a way of making all these things added unto you. If you will trust God, even though in your head it doesn't make sense and everyone else is doing something different, if you trust God with the six days, do your work, and when you worship the Lord and make him a priority, when the time comes, just trust God to make the difference. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he asked the Israelites to do. Trust God with the difference. God will multiply the efforts of the other six days for blessing. Now, uh, it's interesting, in the end of Israel's time, when Babylon comes in and takes over Judah, there's an interesting passage in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 21. God, through this passage, reveals that the Israelites are about to go in exile for 70 years. And the, na- he, the author names the reason as not honoring the Sabbath days. 2 Chronicles 36, 21, this was done to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. I look at that Old Testament example, and it tells me God will have his way. God will have his way. And here's what I've learned from that. I can either worship God by choice, or I can be humbled into worshiping God by force. How does that translate? I can willingly give my money what God's blessed me with and, and worship the Lord that way, or I could send it to the hospital bill. I could willingly give my 
time to Lord, or the time can be taken from you. I've seen how that can happen in my life. And if I go to the hospital because I've been worshiping the Lord, then you know what? Praise God. God's in charge of that. If I get broke, but I've been worshiping the Lord, well, praise God. God's still going to sustain me, and I'm going to count on him. See, either way, let it be that I worship the Lord. And that I did not use God to worship money. I did not use God to worship my work or worship my effectiveness or my productivity or my status among the work, but that I worshiped him first. So let me ask now, what now is commanded? I mean, this is, this is the law. And pastor, you preached in Galatians and you said that we're not saved by the law. What role does this play today? Well, I want to take you to some New Testament examples. Uh, we're going to see something interesting because, after all, just, just to inform you, today isn't the Sabbath. All right? That, today's Sunday. You remember? Okay? Sabbath is Saturday, the seventh day of the week. We're on the first day of the week. So what are we doing? I mean, are we just late? We, we need to back this up a little bit. Uh, and, and, and while we're at it, you know, that begins on, on sundown, so we really need to be doing this Friday night, um, you know. Uh, that, that's, that's the Sabbath day there for the Jewish. I mean, if we're going to go all out, let's do it. So what are we doing? Are we messed up? Well, let me just, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. I, I want to just bring some, some examples to you. Uh, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. So this is Paul there with, with the believers, and they're gathering. Notice the day of the week, the first day of the week. They were gathered together, uh, breaking bread. Now, the first day of the week, again, this is uh, nighttime. So very likely it's, it's late into the night, Saturday night. Um, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Son. That is a serious sermon right there, okay? Um, till midnight. Uh, why? Well, you know, that's the time. And, and, and listen, that, wasn't, that just doesn't happen in the New Testament times. Just, just for your information, that still happens all over the world. That's the time they can meet when they won't get persecuted. They, they worship at, at 10 to like 2 in the morning. Um, so they're out of the way of the persecuting public eye. So just, just for your information, that's not just New Testament time. That's just, it's, it's all over. It's just unique to America. Um, so we've got this example of the early church meeting the first day of the week. Revelation 1.10. Paul is receiving a revelation from God there on the Isle of Patmos. Exile, notice the terminology, on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, referring to the first day of the week. You've got this early church example where they shift worshiping to Sunday morning or to Sunday. It's not that they stopped doing the Sabbath day. They still had the Sabbath day. But because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead, it became a spot, a time and place where they would gather together, remember what Jesus did, and they would do that in the morning and then go to work because they didn't have Sunday off. All right? They had Saturday was the day off. And so they had the Saturday, but then they instituted worshiping on Sunday morning or Sunday within the work time frame. And so we, we see this, this shift uh, into Sunday being a growing importance. Now, let me put this with some other passages. Romans 14, 5. One person esteems, when this Paul talking, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The days he's talking about includes the Sabbath day. He's saying, look, we're putting this importance on Sabbath day. That's grown. That's not something we hold on to anymore. And then we re read Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You see this again in Galatians when we looked at this and the observations of the festivals and special days. 
that you've got this gospel presentation in Romans and Colossians and Galatians that says that's no longer holding to us. How, how do we explain that? Everything else seems to be holding to us. Why this is not holding to us? Well, this came to my attention as we were studying together years ago in the book of Matthew. When not so long ago we were studying the book of Hebrews. It was starting to click in my heart and mind. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, you know, Jesus was constantly getting uh, blasted by religious leaders because of what he did on the Sabbath day. He was not observing how they thought Sabbath day ought to be observed. They were adding things to it of what you should and shouldn't do. And Jesus comes along and says, in Matthew 11, 20, uh, 28, Come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody remember what the meaning of Sabbath? Rest day? Come to me, and I will give you your Sabbath. I will give you rest. And then just a few verses after that, Matthew 12, verse 5 and 8, Or have you not read in law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you have known what it means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the rest. All right? Remember Matthew 5, Jesus said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. What was it that he fulfilled about this fourth commandment? What did he do? Well, combine this with Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You get the idea that Jesus is helping the Pharisees to redefine what the Sabbath day. He says, I am the Lord of it. The Sabbath uh, is made for you, not you for the Sabbath. Is meant to help you do something. And by the way, I'm the Lord of this. So what is it he did? Well, go to Hebrews chapter 4. This is, I'm, this is getting a little complicated here, but just bear with me in this. Hebrews 4, verse 1 through 11, this concept of rest. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, they didn't believe. For those who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, he's referring to creation. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he points a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the word words already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if joshua had given them rest god would not spoken of another day later on so then there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god for whoever has entered god's rest has also rested from his works as god did from his let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience let me try to explain that it says past, a reference to the word rest, referring to creation. Later on, the promised land, Canaan land, was referred to as rest. But you see in Psalm 95 that it wasn't all fulfilled. These were just provisions pointing to something else. The Sabbath day of the creation, the Canaan land rest, they point to what he's arguing, Jesus Christ. He is our rest. Notice that last phrase I said there, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Remember the sense of rest has the sense of completion. Listen, when Jesus went to the cross because of your sin, my sin, and there paid the penalty for my sin to satisfy the wrath of God, and there on the cross when it was done and when it was being accomplished, when he was being condemned, when he was becoming my sin, he said from that cross, it is finished. And there, as the night fell on that Friday, unusually dark on a Friday 
marking the beginning of a Sabbath day. His body was placed into the tomb. And on that Sabbath day, there was rest because as soon, as soon as the Sabbath day was over, at the marking of the, the sun, Jesus comes from the tomb to bear to all people, he is now your father. It is complete. No longer strive to do the Ten Commandments. No longer strive to perform the law so that God will look at you differently than he has before. No longer do these things. Rest from your work and rest in me. I am your Sabbath. Trust in me with all of your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge me. I am your Sabbath. And that's why Hebrews says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. Trust in Christ. Christ is my Sabbath day. And he fulfilled the law. So what does that leave us with today? Well, it leaves us with the technicality no longer applies. Sabbath day, what we don't do, whether I'll empty the dishwasher or not, the technicalities, what day of the week it is. But there's a spirit here that still remains, still very much a part of this commandment that is in the presence of a believer's life. And that is because of the fact that God created you and through Jesus Christ, He redeemed you that I want to, not that I have to, I want to refocus my heart, refocus my mind every week upon who Jesus Christ is through every week to set apart my normal schedule so that I can take this schedule and think about the word of God, to think about the gospel, how God saved me, declared me right, not because of who I am, but because of who God is, that he is by his word, by his promise, given me the Holy Spirit, and now he's made me a community of believers. I want to be with them so I can praise my creator, praise my savior, let my mind on Monday think differently because on Sunday I worship the Lord. So, let me just bring this example to you. Uh, this thing about Sunday, um, I, we have the early church example. Later on, Constantine in 321 declares, hey, let's not work on Sunday. Let's make this the Lord's day. And then later on, 700, you've got Saturday and Sunday. Um, you've got Didachi, the Didachi teaching, the Petillion, Justin Martyr, all recognize, and this is something we did as believers early on in the hundreds. We did these things. But let me just take aside that technicality. What if we just said, all right, God, you said one-seventh of our time. Dr. Paige Patterson kind of brought this to my attention. What if we, what if we said, all right, one-seventh of our week we will set it apart for the Lord. All right. <laughs> let's, let's think about that. It's 168 hours in a week. Let's say we follow what tells us, folks tell us to do and have eight hours of sleep a day. I don't think I've experienced that much in my life. But um, if we did that, eight hours of sleep, and it's very generous, Leaves us with about 56 hours a week, or that's about 56 hours in a week, leaving us with 112 hours of our waking week. Let's say we take one-seventh of that. 16 hours. 16 hours that we devote to our Lord. Private worship, family worship, public worship. How do we fit into that? 16 hours. You think, well, I'm, I thought I was doing good. I'm here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you could worship with us. But, um, you know, if you came to a small group, you came here at 9, right? <laughs> 9, 9.30. Get out at oh, 12, 11.52 now, 10, 11, two and a half hours, right? Is that, I'm thinking right, two and a half hours, um, maybe three, 
Where's the other 15 or the other 13? What I'm presenting to you is if this is what you're dependent on to get your heart and mind refocused, you're woefully malnourished spiritually. This isn't enough. Well, pastor, I don't know where the other 13 hours are going to come from. I mean, I look at my day, look at my life. I already get up at 5 in the morning. I'm beat 9 o'clock at night. I mean, I'm trying to stay up. I can't. Where's that going to come from? I don't know. you got the same amount of hours as everyone else. God's not going to add any more hours to your day. I think the question is, what are you going to take away? What are you going to take away? So that you can have that time with the Lord. Well, Pastor, if I take away any of these things, then my results, they're just not going to be the same. Let me ask you, are you really satisfied with your results anyway? If I stop here, I don't know how work's going to happen. I don't know how food's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to happen. Well, guess what? Well, about time you start trusting God with something, isn't it? About time we start trusting God with something. God has given this to acknowledge that God is God. And if we are saying that he is God, all the while putting him just token amounts, miniature amounts of time spent with him, how can you say that you cherish him as your creator? Even more, how you can say that you cherish him as a redeemer? These things are given to you as a gift. What I'm saying to you is that what God is presenting is that time with him is never time regretted. And in our mind, we're thinking, if I do that, I'm going to regret this. I'm going to miss out. I'm going to do this. That's because you're looking at so much and making God of the other things. But if you see God as your God, it is a treasure, it is a value, it is a gift. God, let me hear from you. Let me worship you. Let me talk to you. And it should not be a chore to come in and sing to his name. Let this be the culmination of a week of worship. Let this be the last three hours that top off your six hours or however you want to look at it at the beginning of the next 13. It is amazing how you worship God if you actually worship God. You remember how we have the name of Christ in our life? He's written his name not on our foot. He's written it in our heart. He's written it in our mind. He's written it upon his law into our life, the fleshly tablets of our heart and mind. This is worship. When you spend your days, and if you read in the word of God, and it seems like God is saying, I want you to spend some time in the attic, you say, well, your name is on my heart. If that's what you want, that's what I'm going to do. Even though it doesn't make any sense to me, lo and behold, you're not glorifying reason. You're not glorifying pragmatics. You're not glorifying productivity. You're glorifying your creator and your redeemer. And if that's what your creator and redeemer says, you do. Remember, what's the point of the commandments? It's not that you agree with it. (laughs) That's not obedience. That's called cooperation. But that you submit to it, that you let God cross your will. Will you let him do that? Let's bow in prayer.